As we get going this morning, I'm going to make a confession, and it would be helpful if you would listen all the way through it, lest you judge me at the beginning and not wait for the end. As a college student, I detested communion. Whether it was given at church or on a retreat, I did not like it. And in fact, when I knew it was coming, I often skipped church ahead of it, knowing that it was coming. Now, I confess this to you, and I'm telling you why now. And my why has everything to do with an insufficient view of the doctrine of justification. The doctrine I was holding at the time was completely insufficient to take communion, and I had an immature view of the doctrine of our union with Christ, which is to say this. I did not understand what communion was for and why it was being offered to us. And so I confess to you that when we would gather, what communion was to me was a reminder of my guilt. It became a reminder of my failures, a reminder of my unworthiness, such that it became a celebration of how bad a follower of Jesus I was. And all that it accomplished in my life at those moments was giving me overwhelming feelings of guilt and condemnation. I share that with you this morning, and I wonder if any of you have ever felt that way. It wasn't until my third year in seminary at Dallas that it occurred to me while walking through 1 Corinthians that I didn't like communion Because my eyes were being drawn to the wrong object. Look at 1 Corinthians 11 with me. It'll be on the screen. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The Lord's Supper was not about my body. The Lord's Supper was not about me. The Lord's Supper was not about my worthiness. It was not about my faithfulness. It was not about the number of quiet times I'd had that week or the amount of sin I'd been involved with. It wasn't a moment for me to focus on all of my inadequacies. See, that was my mistake. The Lord's Supper was given because it was about Him. It's about Jesus. Which is why He says, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It is that very moment where there's this call upward to raise your eyes off of yourself, to look at the cross, to look to Christ. And I came to discover that communion is a testimony about Jesus and about his worth and about his faithfulness and about his righteousness. Now, I start here this morning because this is the crux of our faith. This is what we corporately believe and testify to. That Christ died on the cross for our sin. The worthy for the unworthy. 
And he was resurrected on the third day. And all of our sin, all of it completely atoned for at the cross. And that we have been reborn by claiming his name, trusting his work. And it is literally a 100,000% about him. And I mean that about communion. And I mean that about life. And so God, in his great sovereignty, knew that you and I would forget that. He knew that you and I would get busy. He knew that you and I would get distracted. He knew you and I would face temptations. He knew you and I would get off course. So he built in reminders. He built in reminders that we would be built up. We would be encouraged. We would have our course corrected. God, in his great sovereignty, gave us things like communion. That we would be reminded of him and that we would proclaim him. Verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Friends, the Father is good to us. For he's not only done the great work of redeeming us through the work of his son, he's also given us reminders that we would be called home, that we would be refocused, we'd be recentered, that we would remember and proclaim. Now, I start us in the New Testament because I want to start painting that picture. We'll land here in the end, but this morning as we open up the book of Exodus, we're going to do something I don't often do. We're preaching a passage that I preached last week, but we're picking up all the verses we missed. Because if you look at the Passover, you see two major actions happening. One, you see God redeeming his people and within it, all within it, sprinkled throughout all three chapters, 11, 12, and 13, is this call that we would remember and we would proclaim That we would remember and we would proclaim. And so we see this Passover as a precursor event to our practice of communion. It reminds us of the unity of scripture. It reminds us of the good nature of God. It reminds us that the book is essentially about him. And it informs us about us. And it reminds us how often we need to be reminded. So as we open our Bibles this morning, let's pray about our time in his word. Pray with me. Gracious Father, we give thanks this morning for your word. We give thanks that we are reminded that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Father, we are reminded that just as you ordained your people into Egypt, and you ordained them out of Egypt by your mighty hand, Father, so you have ordained us for this moment. Father, may it be that whatever we're walking through right now, that we would trust you more and more. Father, may it be right now that you would remind us that your hand is always at work in our lives. Father, would you be at work through your word and in your church this morning? We trust that you will mold us and shape us. We trust that your word will have its due impact on our lives. Help us to be so attentive to it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last week we walked through chapters 11, 12, and 13. We looked at the 10th plague, the death of the firstborn. That all the firstborn children in the land of Egypt would die, man and beast. We saw God make a provision. 
The Israelites were to take a lamb, a a one-year-old lamb without blemish. They were to sacrifice the lamb. They were to take the blood of the lamb and apply it to the the lentil, the top post, and the doorposts. Because of the blood of the lamb, the people of Israel would not only be spared, but they would be set free. That we, we preached that last week. But all through the passage, first note, that is behind me and it's not me. So I'm not ratting anybody out. I'm not ratting anybody out at all. This week I was on Twitter, somebody wrote, what's the funniest thing that's ever happened to you as a pastor? That might be it. <laughs> Thanks, Hannah. Because of the blood of the land, the people of Israel would not only be spared, they would be set free. We preached that last week. We looked at that. We walked through that passage. We saw the theme. And this morning we want to look back at that same passage and we want to consider the call To remember and to proclaim. We'll see it throughout. If you remember in chapter 11, the Lord speaks to Moses. And Moses declares the final plague on Egypt. And so when you get to chapter 12, God is now speaking to Moses and Aaron so that they might prepare Israel. This is what he says, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell that all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to his father's houses, a lamb for your household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, so that you may make your count for the lamb. So if we're paying attention... We should pick up that the Lord has not yet told the Israelites what's going to happen. He's not told them of the tenth plague. He's not told them of the judgment. What he is doing, what he is saying is, I'm going to tell you something is going to happen. And I want to tell you this thing that's going to happen is going to change everything. And in fact, it's going to change everything so much then I want you to change your entire calendar based on what's going to happen that you don't know about yet. It's as if Moses and Aaron are proclaiming to them that new 15-month academic calendar you just got, throw it out. It'd be like this morning on August 21st. We said, hey, you know, let's call today January 1. It's going to be such an important day in your life. I want today to so mark you that every New Year's Day you start with this. God is proclaiming this to them. I'm about to do something. I want you to so orient your lives around. I want it to be so foundational to who you are. I want it to be right before you as you consider starting a year. And then he tells them to get a lamb. The celebration is going to be for everyone. If you can't afford a lamb, share a lamb. Gets into the details. Verse 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish. A male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it from the 14th day of this month. And the whole assembly and the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. 
Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lentil in which they eat it. And they shall eat the flesh that night roasted on fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat. Verse 11. In this manner you shall eat it. With your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. If you were here with us on Good Friday, we celebrated a traditional Seder meal. We had a Passover. And if we were being accurate to the text, we would have told you to put on like your running shoes and bring a backpack. Like you're supposed to be ready. You're supposed to be ready to leave. God is ordaining a festival for them so that they would remember this moment. He even names it. And they don't yet know why. Verse 12, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beasts. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you in houses where you are. And I will see the blood and I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you. When I strike the land of Egypt, this day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Now pause for a second. There are not too many holidays that God ordains. Nowhere in the scripture does it say, make a big deal of your birthday. Make a big deal of your birthday, I'm not calling you out. Nowhere does it say make a big deal of your anniversary. That's a big day for you, good for you. I'm proud of you, keep it up. But when God sets apart a day, says, I want you to remember this day. And I want you to keep it throughout all your generations as a statute forever. We might ought to lean in a little bit. We might ought to pay attention that God is saying something so significant. I want you to remember this forever. Because God is about to declare judgment. And he's about to declare favor. And he's about to declare freedom. And he wants it to be remembered. Takes it a step further in verse 24. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons Forever. The Lord sets up a permanent remembrance. I want you to celebrate this forever. I want you to proclaim what I'm about to do. Verse 25. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. Quick pause. Please note the sovereignty of God, who's yet even to send out the angel. He, he's still forecasting for this people. Not only will I deliver you, not only will you get to the land, but I'm going to keep all of my promises to you. God is testifying to his faithfulness to them. Verse 26. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? What do you mean by coming back to practice this? Why is this an annual event? Why is this the beginning of our year? Why is this so important? Verse 27, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel and Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, 
But he spared our houses, and the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Friends, as the Lord is releasing his people from captivity, as he's made this plan for them to leave slavery and enter into the promised land, he built into this plan freedom. But he also built in this plan a call back to remember what he is about to do and to proclaim it. And if you consider that, if God were to show up at your house tomorrow morning and say, I'm about to do something so awesome that will blow your mind, that tomorrow's going to be like the biggest day ever for you, you'd pay attention the whole day, wouldn't you? In fact, you might even take a journal and take notes all day. I want to keep track of this. I ate Wheaties. Had my quiet, you know, you'd walk through it with some purpose. God sets his people up to remember the day so that they might proclaim the day. So as we turn back to this text, back to this Exodus 11, 12, and 13, we see the 10th plague. We see the provision of the blood of the lamb. And this morning we see this built-in call to remember and this call to proclaim we should pick up out of the text very clearly that the exodus is not merely about God delivering his people from slavery. That there is, in fact, something so significant about this, so theologically significant about this, that it's more serious than the Israelites leaving slavery from Egypt And it's more than God moving his people into the promised land that they'll get milk and honey, that they'll live the good life. What we find here is God is foreshadowing the gospel. He's building his people up so that year after year after year after year of practice, they will look for the Messiah. He's pointing to Jesus And in an incredible way. Beloved, God is preparing his people for the Messiah. Consider this. Every year they would gather, they would celebrate the Passover. They'd be reminded of the Lord's provision. They would be reminded of the Lamb. You know, this conversation around the table wouldn't take too long to be reminded of the last sacrifice we saw from the hand of Moses. He wrote it in Genesis 22, Abraham taking Isaac up the mountain. What happens? God provides a lamb. God provided a lamb? God provided a lamb? It starts to create in you an understanding of who God is of his provision, of his nature, and they would tell of God's faithfulness. In fact, you'd begin to wonder about what the future of deliverance would look like for their people, what the Messiah would look like, and they had to think, it's going to be a lamb. God has this habit of injecting a lamb in for us when we so badly need him. Which is why it's oh so fitting 
and prophetic. That when John the Baptist sees Jesus in John chapter 1, John the Baptist proclaims, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist connects the Passover to Jesus. You're looking for a lamb? Behold, the Lamb of God. This isn't a lamb of your flock. This isn't a little sheep that has lived behind your house for a couple of years. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John connects Jesus to the Passover. And in fact, Paul makes the connection crystal clear in 1 Corinthians 5, stating that Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Jesus is our Passover lamb. The New Testament leans into this Passover moment and reads back into it an understanding, reads back into it a theology that reminds us of who God is. So that when we come to the Passover, it leads us to a better understanding of Jesus. Beloved, we take the book of Romans for granted. We miss the fact that the earliest part of the church did not have the book of Romans, but they did have Exodus. They did have Exodus so that they could see what slavery looked like and they could see what a redeemer looked like and they could see what freedom looked like and they could see God's leadership and what that looked like. It illustrates the Christian life in lots of really obvious ways, all pointing us to understand the significance of Jesus and a richer understanding of our salvation. Beloved, I think this passage exists for us to look at, to consider To be reminded that there was a people who were enslaved, who never could have escaped on their own, and who were miraculously redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And that's the New Testament, not the Old, right? God set his people free that they might worship him. They might be reminded that they're called to remember that and proclaim Throughout this event, God is telling them the significance of it. And I want to tell you this morning as we walk into the New Testament, because I'm going to push us now into the New Testament to tell you that the, the God who understood Israel, who understood their temptations and their trials, and knew they need to be reminded over and over and over and over again, is our God. And while we don't have a sacrificial system where we've got to regularly go get a lamb to make atonement for our sin, though to be fair, I think we'd take sin a whole lot more seriously if we did. We have built into our lives the call to remember and proclaim. Let me show you three ways. First, 
When we take communion, I alluded to it earlier, 1 Corinthians 11, 26 through, 23 through 26. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup. After supper, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We should see the similarities. Jesus, at the table, has not been arrested. His disciples don't yet fully understand he's going to be arrested, tried, and executed. And yet he's already calling them to remember. I want you to remember. I want you to proclaim. Love the Lord has given us his communion as an opportunity to remember and proclaim. First Corinthians 11, Paul has taken it down. He's trying to get it into the fabric, the DNA of the church. This is what I got from the Lord. I want to give it to you that you would practice this. Why? Because I want you to be reminded. I want you to remember and proclaim. I mean, the words are even in the passage that you and I would be reminded of the gospel, that we'd be reminded of the completed work of Jesus Christ that we'd be reminded of the sufficiency of his blood. And that in that moment, when you hold up that piece of bread, that it's not about your unworthiness. Now, quick pause. Are you unworthy? Entirely. But it's not about that. That's a misappropriation of what you're supposed to look at. That's what I did in college. It nearly ruined and crippled my faith. Beloved, your faith is not about you. And it's not about the person sitting next to you. Or the person sitting two or three down from you. Or the person you call on Mother or Father's Day. Or the person who disappointed you. Our faith is not about each other. It's about Christ. So if you've been discouraged, you've been disillusioned, there's somebody around you who's mistreating you, they claim the name of Christ. But don't let that hold you down. Don't let that abuse you. Our faith is about Jesus Christ. He's the one we proclaim. He's the only perfect one. I make a deal about that every communion. Try to. Because following that were the years I would look around and figure out who all the worthy people in the church are. Oh, of course he can take communion. He's a good guy. And she can take communion because he's like really righteous and I shouldn't. And when you understand that the Bible would proclaim that every last one of the Egyptians was a slave and the only way they were freed was because of the blood. You come to an understanding that everyone in this room is a slave. And the only way we are worthy is because of the blood. So we're reminded of the completed work of Christ. We're reminded of sufficiency. We proclaim it. We proclaim it to ourselves. I believe this. Maybe not today. I'm trying really hard. I'm trying hard to believe it. 
And we proclaim it to those around us. So we can all look around and go, well, they believe it and they believe it. It's, it's going to hold. We were, we're called to be reminded and to proclaim it. And friends, it's not just once a month. You know, the irony of the Passover is that it's an annual event. You know, when you think about the Passover and then you think about communion, we took an annual event and said, you know, the once a year reminder is not getting it done. What if we go to like monthly, the monthly reminder? Maybe once a month we should be reminded fully of the gospel. But I would tell you that's not how often you're supposed to be reminded. Consider Hebrews verse chapter 10. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, you should know that's like my favorite verse in the Bible. You ever praying with a group of people who are surrounded by unbelievers, I'd encourage you to pray through this verse. It is a tremendous introduction to the gospel. We have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. God the Father, I can come into your presence with great confidence, not because of who I am, but because of the blood of Jesus. That's what he's writing for us. Since we have confidence to enter into God's presence because of the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God. He gives us this great introduction. And then I like to joke, he gives us the garden, the three lettuces. Verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us Hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. 25. Not neglecting to meet together as the habit is some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. In Hebrews 10, the author is giving these three exhortations about growing in Christ. The first, be reminded of the gospel that we draw near with full assurance because of his blood. The second, hold fast our confession of hope. Cling to Jesus. How do we do that? Because of the blood. And third, consider how to stir up one another. When you think about your practice of the faith, Do you consider the reality that it's not primarily about you? But when the author of Hebrews wants to exhort you to grow in Christ, it's not just draw near to Jesus. It's not just hold your confession of hope. It's not live out your faith in a closet by yourself as if a private faith would sustain you. Church, it won't. Let us not, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Does it occur to you that you need to be stirred up? 
It's like Kool-Aid that sits too long. It fragments. Most of the top has no flavor. You've got to stir it up. Has it occurred to you God wants to use you to stir up one another? Then it might well be that you're here this morning and it has nothing to do with you being encouraged or edified and everything to do with me being encouraged and edified. That one of the very reasons that we're together as a body is we're to build up one another. We're to stir up one another. And if you take 24 seriously, it does not say, let us consider how the pastor is going to stir us up. It's not my job to call you to consider how to stir up one another. Not neglecting to meet together is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. God calls us to stir up one another to meet together. It is an unmistakable reality the author is exhorting us to gather as the church. He's noting some will neglect the habit, some will practice it, some will neglect it, and some will increase in their neglect. But encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Why? Because we are to be reminded of the gospel in each other's presence. That's our only way to stir each other up. It's not are you meaning muster. It's not are you doing enough. It's not, hey, are you accomplishing your goals? Or are you, are you getting your tasks done? No, we stir one another up by actually reminding each other of the gospel. By building each other up. Brother, it's okay. Jesus died for the sin. Sister, it's okay. Jesus has set you free that you might mature. Jesus has set you free that you might walk in freedom. We might build each other up in the gospel and to proclaim it. God has actually built into the reality that we would gather frequently. Read the book of Acts. They met daily. But it's not just a once a week thing either. Consider Colossians 3. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if you have a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must... Forgive. Above all these things, put on Christ, which binds together, binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Consider what Paul writes to the Colossian church. Put on then kindness. You know what the requirement for putting on kindness is? Probably that you're not kind. You know what the requirement for calling you to humility is? Probably that you're proud. 
You know what the call to patience is? I think you might. Bearing with one another. Has it ever occurred to you that maybe one of the reasons God surrounded you with so many sinners is because he wants to remind you of the gospel? Like, really? Like, the reason God surrounds us with sinners is because he wants to remind us of the gospel. I've got three little people who live at my house. They sin. And what's funny about it is, like, watch their sin. Like, I don't do that. I put my dolls away. I don't leave my Legos out on the floor. But I do other stuff. Sometimes I need to be reminded that it's nuts that I expect them to be sin-free while I'm sinful. Love, God surrounds us with sinners, and I mean that quite literally. Because you and I need to be reminded of the gospel. And the only way... For you to be reminded is for you to practice it. People always say, if you want to learn something, teach it. You want to learn grace, teach it. How do you teach it? Surround yourself with sinners. Model Christ. Love built into the Christian life that God would call us to remember and proclaim what Jesus Christ did for us once and for all on the cross, you and I don't need an annual reminder. We need a secondly reminder so that we would remember that what Jesus did is enough, it is sufficient for this moment for this hour, for this minute, for this second. That if I have a complaint, what do I do? I forgive. How? Because the Lord has forgiven you. How are those connected? Because I'm reminded that I'm a sinner too. And I'm reminded of the grace of Jesus that allows me to continue to stand. And so when I'm reminded of my sin and it locates me in his grace, it allows me to show you grace. And all of a sudden, this lesson I'm trying to learn, I got to teach. And we're called to remember and proclaim. It's our only means of forgiveness. Love, when we consider the Passover, you and I are going to be tempted to think it's an Easter event. And what I'm wanting to help you see, even in God's use of the word remember, is it's not an Easter event. It's a loving Jesus event that you and I would remember and practice the gospel always and specifically with each other. Let me pray for us. Father, we are so thankful for your word, thankful for the book of Exodus. Father, for how you illustrate spiritual truths to us that we could see plainly. Thank you that you give us the whole arc of a narrative that we could see the, the whole story from beginning to end. It's a fascinating journey to watch the Israelites. 
to see them in slavery, to see them freed, to see them struggle, to see them disobey, and to continue to be reminded of how much of our lives we find in the book of Exodus. Father, in this passage this morning, we see this call to remember and to proclaim. And would you help teach us? We are called to remember and proclaim the gospel in all the moments of our life. When we gather for communion, when we gather as a church, and when we spend time with other people. Father, would you allow us to remember your gospel and to proclaim it and how we love one another well. All through the blood of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.